Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom. Episode 10 here and a little different format today. Larry and I had the opportunity to sit down with the great Bill Raftery, college basketball analyst for CBS and for Fox Sports. And we recorded that earlier, so we're going to go ahead and play that for you now. Hope you all enjoy it as much as Larry and I enjoyed talking with the great Bill Raftery. Okay, we'd like to welcome in uh, Bill Raftery to, to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. And Coach, thanks so much for taking a little time to join us here. Really appreciate it. No problem, Ellie. Glad to be with you. At least I don't have to pick up a check today. <laughs> well, not yet. That's, that comes later anyway. Okay, so uh, middle of the, uh, the good time of year, um, you know, starting conference play, about three, four games into conference play. Is this your favorite time of the year? Uh, you know, I enjoy any time of the year, obviously. You know, we start to have usually in Ma- uh, either Maui or Honolulu, which is a pretty good start. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, just the level of competition just grows uh, at this time of year. I think the preparation, guys know one another. Uh, the attention to detail becomes very important, particularly in a conference like you're in. Uh, if you're not prepared, uh, you, you know, you can be embarrassed. Yeah, I think that's one of the things our staff always instills in our players is everything changes this time of year there's no more you know the guarantee games the you know 30 40 point wins those are out the door right and it's it's everything scouted much more well you know there's, there's you know the kids too understand what it's all about and, and the nice thing at this level is they've all played against one another for many years now through the aau and high school and things of that nature so uh there's a prove on better deal right uh, <laughs> you know i've heard about you and let's see how, how good you've gotten that type of deal well, well, we'll talk about more things in in, uh, in general, but your thoughts just on the Purdue team. I know you've seen some games on film. This will be your first time live this year. Well, I was trying to watch practice today with a guy by the name of Elliot Bloom <laughs> talking about uh, either Gene Cady or Bob Knight. Their ears should be burning right now. Uh, you know, they, they remind me a lot of, uh, and this sounds crazy, Villanova. Uh, they're one of the teams that, has a chance to win it all. And I'm not putting pressure on them. I don't mean it that way. There's a bunch of teams that can get better, which I think they can. Uh, they've got an element that a lot of teams don't have, whether it's size or playing differently, playing smaller, playing bigger. Uh, they have a, a variety of ways of scoring. It's not one guy that has to get big numbers, and I think that's really important. Uh, but getting back to the comparison, I think you know, if you had said to me in December of last year, is Villanova going to win this thing? And say, they're just a nice team. You know, right. they got a chance. But uh, the elements are so important once you get in the NCAA is where you go, who you play against, uh, style of play. Maybe one team is that plays a little differently than you'd like to play, and it throws you off a little bit. So the one and done, it's so hard to win it all. But they're one of those teams, when you watch them, uh, that, that have a lot of things that uh, – indicate that they've got an opportunity now all right. the other things have to fall in place obviously right um, we talked a little bit as we were watching practice but you watch a lot of games and I, I don't want to speak on other analysts that come through but I know that you, you you do watch a lot of games leading up to the games you're gonna you know call live um, is that the former coach in you that you just love that film or uh, you know in our days we couldn't afford film you know, we're at a little poor Catholic school. We couldn't do... Actually, we I think we had eight films a year that was in the budget. 
And, really? Uh, yeah, and you sort of saved it for the Georgetowns or Syracuse or whatever. Uh, you're going back, talking about back in the 70s, obviously. I think the advent of tapes and things of that sort of changed everything. And you had talked about managers swapping reports right. and things like that as we watched the practice. Uh, you know, it makes me feel like I'm still in the game by watching, uh, you know, as many games as you can to get ready for a game of this magnitude. I mean, this is a big-time game. I mean, uh, I think the two best teams right now in the league are Wisconsin and Purdue. And that could change where somebody gets a little bit better or gets started. But uh, I, I think it's fun to look at a game as though you're preparing to play that team. Yeah. And and so that you're not surprised when the game starts as to what happens. It's, it's not a know-it-all thing, but a recognition thing. And it, it sort of keeps you uh, saying, gee, you know, I thought that would have worked, you know, or, or do this against that guy. If they do that, uh, you know, I'm not suggesting it's my input, but it's interesting to, to have that in the back of your head. It's like preparing for an exam. Right. And you don't want to have some questions asked and you didn't read that chapter kind of deal. Yeah. Larry, we talked about, we were talking at practice about the old days of swapping tape and then the coaches' shows having to run the, the taped coaches' show to the affiliate. I was just thinking that in my head before you even brought it up, I haven't even talked to you, but that was so true. We had to tape the show. Uh, if shows were on Sunday and you rarely had Sunday games in television, so what you'd have to do is make sure it was done on Saturday night. So let's say you had a road game Saturday night and you get in at 11 or 12 o'clock or 1 or 2 in the morning, then you had to go to the studio and tape it. And then it had to be out of the studio by 6 a.m. And, of course, we're in an entry-level TV market, so we'd have five <laughs> tapes running all at the same time. And our producer would always say, now listen, he'd tell Coach Katie and I, he said, listen, there cannot be a mistake. And if there is, it's going to be on the tape because I'm not stopping. I'm not stopping five tapes and having a do-over. Right. So that's how it went. So you get done to 3 o'clock in the morning, then you'd have – some guy in a car would take those all over the state and dump them off. I mean, when you think about that, that's nuts. Yeah. I mean, it's really nuts. It's a little easier now. Oh. Well, you've really had a problem when you think of it. You have two coaches without much of a personality. So <laughs> oh, it's been, it's been absolutely <laughs> awful. You've got to drag it out of them. Think about this. I've been doing this. Uh, well, I started with Coach Katie, so it's 40 years. This is my 40th year. I've only had two coaches. Mm-hmm. And, and one was a disciple of the other. Right. And I mean, and they knew me. I mean, I did all of Matt's games. Sure. And, and they've all treated me. I mean, Gene, Gene calls me now once a week and always tells me at the last moment, hey, I love you. You're the best I ever had. <laughs> Which really makes me feel good. But it's just, uh, it's amazing to have these two guys to be with the whole time. And they treat, and they treat, the older I get, the better it is. They treat you better? Oh, yeah. You know, it's interesting you bring up uh, their relationship because I was here when Matt was a player. Uh, he's got a lot older, I've stayed the same, obviously. But, uh, you, you know, just to see that growth and see him, you know, how accomplished he's become as a coach. And uh, Elliot was saying, there's some things he does that are so gene-like that he doesn't even recognize it. Right? <laughs> and, and fortunately, uh, the sense of humor, I guess, is something that uh, holds you, or at least you guys enjoy, particularly on the road, in those dead moments. Yeah, absolutely. And that was one of the questions I was going to ask is, as you call games that guys play and then they go into coaching, that's got to be a really... 
unique yeah, thing. Yeah, it, it is. It's part of, uh, I guess, the, the culture of the game. You know, I've been fortunate enough to stay in it and stay alive and uh, get an opportunity to see the kids go from playing. The, the one thing, once in a while, I'll see a former player at a game, and it, he doesn't have his number on. He's now 40 years of age, and I'm going, I know who that kid is. <laughs> no, I know Alonzo Mourning. I, I can do all right with that, but there's so many kids. But the, the, the nice part about it, I, I think you, you, you do get to know the kids if you do teams regularly. And I can remember years ago with Gene, and, and you were around in those days, I did so many Purdue games, he presented me with a ball, and they brought me out to center court, and all the kids had signed it. And it was really, I, I still, it's one of the few things I have, because we weren't very successful when I was coaching. But it, it was just so nice to get to know a bunch of them, Matt being one of them. Yeah, we were talking about, he was talking about, though, I, I've gone to some reunions, some team reunions, and you sit down at the table, and so-and-so says, I'm so-and-so, and I'm thinking to myself, I don't remember you, what... Into my head, I'm right. certainly not telling him, but I'm right. trying to look for somebody to help me. Right. And you played on what team? The 1986 team. Well, I remember. I remember Troy Lewis and Todd Mitchell and those guys, but I don't remember right. you. Right. So that kind of puts you in a tough spot. Yeah. No, the uh, just an add on to that. Uh, a friend of mine, Gene Schatz, went to Columbia, and Jay Cutlow went to Columbia, and. Uh, Jay is a producer now at Fox, was a longtime ESPN guy, and Gene's on Wall Street and all. And they're together one night and they said, you know, we played against you, Columbia Seton Hall. I said, really? You know, one, one Mitchell, Walton <laughs> Bird, Ricky Free, these are pretty good players. I said, you, you mean you sat against us? <laughs> more, more appropriate. That's, that's really good. How is, how is, when you look at the coaching business now, we talked a little about we're in the minority with having two coaches have you know over that span of forty years. It's pretty unique. Um, you know nowadays, you don't get it done quick, and they're looking for the next right. guy. That's that's really changed from the days when you were coaching. Well, I know you were at Duke, and Coach K's a great illustration. If Tom Butters, uh, I think there was a press conference after his third year, and the anticipation was they were going to announce him being fired. And Tom announces a new extension to his contract. Right. And nowadays, you don't get that opportunity. And I think the price of poker has gone up, too. Yeah. We pay you X amount and our expectations and fans. and uh, People are more knowledgeable, uh, so they're more vocal in some cases. And they may make large contributions right. to the university. And so they're... Input is digested, and unfortunately, sometimes uh, there's critical parts of everybody's career, I think, and you have to get over that hump. Uh, you know, PJ Carlissimo a couple of years ago, they all wanted him fired, the Seton Hall coach. He ended up going to the Final Four, and uh, anyhow, lost the championship game to Michigan. Right. But the president said, I'm going to stick with him. He had a bad run, and he got over that hump and I think that's what has to happen a lot if you've got a good guy that works hard and uh, you know people looked at it and look at it in a practical way if he's doing the job and he represents you well you know you got to give him a little more rope right kind of a deal and, and then if that guy is good and getting after it you know he can turn the corner but as you said a lot of guys don't get that opportunity here's the other thing though that is um really never put into perspective, I don't think, is that you have 351 Division One playing schools, and we're talking about maybe the top 50 jobs. We're talking about 
300 guys coaching out there under a lot of different circumstances. I mean, a lot right. of different circumstances. Yeah. So you'll have a university that says, you, 20 games under 500 for 10 years, we don't care. You represent our school well, you're doing well. Mm-hmm. So there's a difference. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to those top 50 jobs, it's a whole different ball game. Right. And so when you're in that level. Dean Smith was uh, at Carolina, I think the second year, and Billy Cunningham, they lost to Wake Forest. They took the bus back. And they had hanged, if that's the proper word, <laughs> yeah. Dean in effigy. And Billy Cunningham went and took the body or facsimile of off the tree. And, uh, you know, he got it turned around, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. But even when he was winning 25-27, oh, yeah. they kept saying, yeah, he hasn't won the NCAA. People don't understand how hard oh. six in a row are. How hard. I mean, it just doesn't happen easily. And, and the public, one, if you don't get in, you've done a bad job. Right. And then if you get in and you don't move on, you know, he can't win this or they can't do this. And I, I just think people have to really look into how difficult it is to get by, uh, you know, one game, get ready for the next, well, our, the next weekend. In our league, we have Tom Mizzo. He's been there seven times. He's won one championship. Right. You know, and people talk about how many Final Fours he's been to, which is unbelievable. Sure. But he's won one. Right. One national championship mm-hmm. in 2000. So it is an incredibly hard feat. Right. And, of course, I told Coach Calhoun when he showed up here last year, I think what he did in that year, they won the title, mm-hmm. when he won 11 straight one and done. Yeah, five in what? the tor- in the uh, Big East tournament. Exactly, and I thought that was the greatest feat in college basketball history, in my opinion. Incredible, Kemba Inc- Kemba Walker, unbelievable. Put that team on his shoulder. Yeah. You know, have you had Billis on this yet? No, but uh, he he's he's on our wish list. He charges a lot, by the yeah. way. <laughs> we'll have to we'll have to have a bake sale and, to get uh, him. Uh, anyway, my one of my favorite little banquet stories, if he's there, is that you know Jay couldn't be here this evening. He's down in Durham. Uh, Mike puts his five NCAA championship rings in his back pocket, and every week he has Jay come down, and they switch pockets so that when Jay is asked to kiss the rings, he can do two things at once. (laughs) (laughs) We'll have to to write that down when we get Jay on. That'll that'll be a good intro as we introduce him. Uh, We talked a little bit at practice with with the your transition to Fox, where obviously we're on our game tomorrow is on CBS, but you know a, a nice luxury for you to, to do both. The Big Ten will be involved with Fox next year, so hopefully we'll be seeing you a little bit more on yeah, the road. I, but that'll be exciting. Well, fortunately, uh, over the years uh, we've done a lot of Big Ten uh, CBS, right? And uh, you know it's such an important area of the country. <coughs> Excuse me, and and the love of basketball. Once you start coming out here. I remember years ago doing a game in Iowa, and uh, a gentleman came up after the game. We were having a little lemonade at some restaurant, <laughs> and uh, he said, I just want to thank you uh, so much uh, for the basketball. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, ESPN. I said, oh, I just work for them. He said, you don't know, I, I'm a farmer, and we sit at home in these wintry nights and love watching the basketball. And, you know, it's funny, like, oh, hey. You realize how important this is for invalids or people that just can't get out or who have to work and can't go run around at night to game. So uh, I've been blessed in that way. And then Fox was nice enough. It was it was a good time in a way because I had started with the Big East in eighty one, eighty two. You know, I coached in it, and then eighty one, eighty two, ESPN, and they 
tied a deal together, and I started then. And uh, at the same time, started with CBS, so I was always okay to management that I, as long as I could weekend CBS, ESPN, you know, during yeah. the week pretty much. And then when Fox came along, it was like going backwards in time uh, where you have this fledging Fox Sports 1, just like ESPN then, getting in bed with the Big East. And it, it was one of those deals where as long as I could do the tournament, which CBS yeah. was, you know, nice enough to have me do, uh, it was a good move. And I, I think I told you McDonough's story. Yeah. There's Sean McDonough, who's the boys of Monday Night Football and a good friend of ours. <laughs> and uh, I, I introduced him up at his Hall of Fame introduction or induction at WERA, I think it's the student station. And so after I busted him a little bit, he got up and he said, uh, there were about 100 people in the audience, and Sean said, well, you may have noticed Bill was a little bit nervous uh, since he joined Fox Sports 1. <laughs> this is the largest audience he's spoken in front of. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Let me ask you a couple of questions real quick about, you have so many signature sayings, and I know Elliot is a huge, huge fan of yours because he repeats them all and mimics you very well. And uh, But just a thought on uh, where you dreamt some of those up. Did they just come to you naturally? Is it just over a period of time? I, I, to answer you, I, I, most of them came about to be succinct. I mean, I never realized I said man-to-man. And basically, it got into one word because the play-by-play the -play guy had stuff to do. So, you know, identify the guys on the floor or whatever. So that became Miniman, and uh, I'm at the airport, and I hear these guys go, Miniman, what the hell's over there? <laughs> so I think you, you sort of fall into things. And, and, and as you know, uh, being in it for so long, I now say some of them, I'm saying, what a, you're a jerk, you know. But... It was just a way of saying, uh, you know, a kiss was, you know, a bank shot. It just, uh, I, I don't know, I, you know, lingerie on the deck, it was like, that, that was like, my mother would have been offended if I said jock. So that, like, just, and I don't know, just silly things, send it in, it's like an old term kind of deal. Uh, onions, uh, Kevin Edwards, Ian Eagle is doing the game with me tomorrow. Uh, Ian, uh, we did the Nets for about eight years together. And Kevin Edwards, the Nets were not very good. And Kevin makes a three against Orlando. And I blurt out, like, we're not used to winning. We've got like 15 wins out of, you know, 82 games. Which would be awful. Right? And you <laughs> still got to come with it and all. And I blurted that out. I, I don't even remember it. And, that, and then what, what's interesting about what we do at one time, ESPN said, uh, you can't use that. That's, uh, we don't like that. And then three weeks later, I get a call. It's okay to use it. <laughs> writers were starting to use that word about, you know, clutch play or whatever, as it turned out. took it mainstream. So to answer you, I, I think who you pal around with, uh, you know, get the heck out of the way. You just try and out of your empty barrel pop something in so I, I, I'm not a writer down and uh, it, it's got to come from within that's the way I feel well it's the same way with me I've never I've never sat at home and thought I'm going to try to force this word on somebody and 
And I don't have any. I have not. In 40 years, I don't have any great sayings. But but you know what? You're better served for it, though. <laughs> no, no, honest. I, I, you know, I, I say them, and sometimes I'm like, you know, it's people have heard them. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm sort of caught sometimes saying it just to say it. But I do love the end of a game if a kid makes a big free throw Aww. like you guys did the other night, and a uh, kid reaches back. It's this an apt description of what these kids can muster and, and come up with and have the courage, basically, to stand up there and make a free throw or make a big-time shot or big-time play. But I do think that comes through with you in particular is you're, you seem to have a lot of joy when a kid performs. And, you know, I think that's part of having coached and played yourself. I mean, you're going to sit here and probably say something that, like you were a terrible player. You were a really good player in your day as well. Well, it doesn't really matter very much. You know? <laughs> uh, don't, don't talk to the LaSalle people. They, they, may not, they may not agree with you. But, but I, I think the transition from, uh, I'm assuming you played a bunch of sports, grade school, high school, right? And, like, it's it's a nice little stay alive kind of a thing where you, you played. I always say, you know, I couldn't play. You know, go to Nick Camp, get cut. Couldn't coach 16 years, you know, and uh, then I the, the the coaching one, which is one of my favorite banquet stories, but it is true. I came home one night, and we used to scout in those days in the 70s. You could go see right. Purdue or live scout, yeah, yeah live. Yeah. And uh, I came home, and it was like a bitter, cold, snowy, ugly night. And I got in, and Joan said, "You know, take the garbage out." And I said, "Do you think Nell has John Wooden?" take the garbage out and John said well if you want as much as John Wooden I'd take the garbage out <laughs> so that's basically it so then then, then they, what had happened was I'm um, in the beginning of my 16th year my 11th year at Seton Hall and Dave Gavitt I had been out with him he was the commissioner and Dave said I'm not going to do he was the color analyst for ESPN believe it or not he said I'm not going to do it next year I said, geez, you know, someday I'd like to do that, thinking I'm going to be John Wooden, like long run and then bounce in. And uh, we practiced two weeks in October, and it's like October 28th. And he called. He said, if you want this job, you got two days. So I left for, in two days, I left for $800 a game, nine games, four children. And... uh, I just got lucky. I got a bunch of NBC games because they had the contract in those days. Mm-hmm. I did the Nets the next year, CBS the next year. And uh, I, it was just a nice way of, and I also knew the philosophy that we had was not a Purdue philosophy. Uh, the same budget, PJ and Hurwitz. So for four years, they, you know, they're playing Syracuse and all these Connecticut that have invested time and effort, equipment, mm-hmm. support, educational support. And uh, we, that wasn't going to change, so that made it a little bit easier. And, and you know, fortunately, it, it turned into a, not only a nice livelihood, but a, a fun existence. And I think part of when you coach, you want, I feel terrible for the guy who loses. Yeah. You know, because I know what he's going to go through. You know, the press conference. I used to have, we had, we had a trainer. We had an ice machine, and he had a six-pack in there. He never iced a kid in the whole year. <laughs> and, and when the game was over, I would go in and I'd open up a beer and I'd light up a cigar 
and on the second beer, and we had a lot of local papers, as you guys would have years ago here. You yep, know, right. Every little town had a paper. Right, right. So we had like maybe 10 to 12 guys every, plus the better, you know, larger papers. And on the second beer, we let them in, and uh, kids played hard, you know. <laughs> How about that call? Ah, the guy did a good job. It, it, it made me think a little bit about... You kidding me? That kind of deal. So I, a cooling I, off period. Yeah, was, I think it's it's healthy. You know, yeah. as the game ends, you know, this handshake thing at the end of the game, I, I think it's I think the two coaches should shake hands. There was an incident at Kansas a couple of years ago where a kid on the other team and the assistant coach at Kansas they had recruited him and they end up in a like a bush bing. Yeah. I don't know if you remember that, like. It, it, the game is over and you've just left everything out there now you've got to shake right. a guy's hand you know right. uh, I, I think it's like oh, looking th- for trouble I've always felt I've always felt these uh, uh, these on court interviews during games mm-hmm. coming out at halftime and then having to have a coach on right after has always been like what are we doing and I don't I don't know where the research is that says that that's really necessary. I mean, I've never heard anyone say, sitting down at a table, hey, did you see the halftime interview, unless the coach was a jerk. Right. Now, if he walked off the floor and, no, we didn't play real well, we'll have to play harder, and we'll try to catch him because we want to have more points on the scoreboard than they do. Right. I mean, no one will say a word about it. Now, if he said, you know, Popovich gives somebody a hard time, then they'll say, hey, do you see that yeah. jerk? Talk to that. But right. if you didn't have it there, you wouldn't have right. that. Well, I think what they feel in television, it gives you insights or access. And there's no insight. There's no, no. There's none. none. But it's part of the deal. And you know, Oh, yeah. Now, I understand who pays for it because one time I'm at Michigan State, long before we used to have the drop-ins. And uh, and then the drop-ins come, and so everything's in, like everything's a drop-in. And I'm reading these. My color announcer is, and I am. I'm reading them, and I finally, you know, we go to a break. I go into a long tirade about with a bunch of poor words and selection, and you know, and went over the air. So you know, the next day, before emails, you know, two sure. two days later, I get a letter. You know, right top of the letter, right. it says, "Hey, that's how we pay you, dude." Those drop-ins pay your deal. Right. So I learned a great lesson there, but it was like, geez, how many drop-ins, you know, this free throw by, you know, it just drove me crazy. Well, the promos, uh, you know, a lot of the play-by-play guys, when they started doing a lot of it at ESPN, they were furious because you didn't (laughs) do replays, you didn't do this because you were promoing whatever. And uh, that's part of the deal. You just got to go with it. I saw something uh, recently that I guess Pat Summerall, when he used to have to introduce uh, our promo murder, she wrote on the on the Sunday. <laughs> right. He would pause, and he would, and it was the joke between him and John Madden to see how long he would pause between murder and she wrote. And if you go back, there's a whole YouTube thing. On, it's crazy. And if you go back and and watch it. It's hysterical because he'll pause and you can hear Madden chuckling in the background. That's and great. you never know, you know, you never knew stuff like that existed until somebody let the cat out of the bag, and that was pretty funny. So, well, we'll wrap up here, Coach, and uh, we're going to end with our final four segment, which we are four questions we pose to our guest. First one is um, it doesn't have to be the latest book, but what's a, maybe the latest book you've read or a good book that you've uh, you're I just a fan finished of. a book on Zola Bud and uh, Mary Jo Decker. 
the famous incident in the Olympics where they mm-hmm. barefoot and step and all that. Oh, a wow. friend of mine wrote it. So, yeah, I like uh, you know anything that's not necessarily current but realistic. You know, I'm not into the fiction kind of thing. I okay. like to uh, big history buff. You know, over the years, we are too. So Me we, too. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot. We yeah. get into that genre. As I think well. almost every World War II book. Uh, I, I can't remember any of them, but I did read most of them. Excellent, excellent. Uh, I don't know if you're a music fan or not, but if you are, what's your go-to music to listen to? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Country Western, believe it or not, I do. Really? Yeah. Two, I mean, two, ne- two weeks in a row? Would yeah. never Mookie, have guessed Mookie. that. Yeah, we. Uh, well, I took the kids to Ireland years ago to do clinics, mm-hmm. and I left them in, uh, not Galway, excuse me, They. I was going to Dublin, Killarney. Mm-hmm. And they stayed in a house, and I knew the people and all. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I would pick them up and then head up to Dublin, and we play Tammy Wynette. D-I-V-O-R-C. <laughs> what is happening today? <laughs> Me and little J-O-E are going away. That is outstanding. <laughs> Quick story. Um, this is in the early 1970s. I'm a top 40 disc jockey down in Paducah, Kentucky. Kind of sports announcer on the Pretty side. Pretty good basketball country, right? Oh, yeah. and that's where I learned. I mean, that's we, we did so many games, it's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Every night we had a game. It's right. like being in the NBA, right. except it was 15 bucks a game. But <laughs> having said that, so I did the afternoon show, and then they called me in. Mr. Fritz calls me in and says, Hey, Larry, I uh, just want to let you know that uh, we're going to change formats. We're going to go to country. And I looked at him like it's shocked and amazed, you know. I, I can't go from the Eagles to country. I mean, who, I don't, I don't know one country artist. And so I'm, you know, I'm kind of protesting. I said, you know, Mr. Fritz, I, I came here, but not with the idea that I'd be doing country. He said, well, you don't have to. No, I said, well, I took a deep breath and said, oh boy, that's great. But if you don't do it. You won't be working here. I said, when we change, and he said, yeah. Monday. He said, don't worry about it. Just spin the records, just like you've been doing the top 40. And he said, I guarantee in two weeks, you'll be fine. So we're bringing out Cal Smith, Hello Country Bumpkin, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. There's frost on my pumpkin. Here <laughs> I'm playing this stuff. <laughs> I'm playing this stuff, and you know, by the third or fourth day, I'm going, okay, all right, okay. I would have never pegged that. Uh, well, I, I do like the Beatles. Okay. So I grew up with them. And a little Sinatra, too. That, that, oh, that was going to be that. my guess. Yeah, I could see uh, that. If somebody would have asked me beforehand, I would have said you were right. a Frank Sinatra guy. I do have a great Frank story. If you'd yeah, like absolutely. I I'm a big Frank fan. 21, 22, and I'm at Jilly's. And uh, we've been bouncing around New York. And now we're this is going to the west side to get through the tunnel. You have to have one more. And Frank Sinatra's in the back with Jilly Rizzo and his boys. And as quick as I can tell this story, Marty the father and Jerry Malloy, who was a great after-dinner speaker and the head coach of St. Peter's Baseball College, were best friends. Marty at Roosevelt Stadium, no fans, two or three baseballs, foul ball. Marty Sinatra would run after the ball, throw the ball back so they'd have two or three balls for the umpires. Mm-hmm. So that's how close they were. Jerry's ill. Frank comes into Hoboken, goes up to the back of the hospital, like regularly, revered the guy. Anyhow, I'm 21, 22. I have never said hello to a big name person or gone out of my way, other than how are you or whatever. Mm-hmm. And uh, for this reason. So I walk to the back, 
and Frank's there with a bucket of ice and a bottle of whatever, and they got the ice or the glasses, and, and I, I'm sure I said, Mr. Sinatra, and I reach over, and he looks up and he says, get the kid out of here. <laughs> so I go back to the bar with my shoulders up, and... A guy under each arm, I tiptoe back, put me at the seat. It's the last time I've said hello to anybody. Wow. <laughs> I learned my lesson quickly. Wow. Okay, what profession, other than what you currently do, would you, if you could wave a wand? It doesn't wow. mean anything you're qualified for, necessarily. Uh, yeah, well, it was, I was the director of recreation in Kearney at 21, and we had a zoo, so I was the curator of the Kearney Zoo. <laughs> <laughs> that's a true story two years and I'm not what you'd call like crazy about animals mm -hmm. uh, we had an elk which I bid on which is a very long story we had a bear and at any rate we had ducks and the foreman of the recreation department was an older guy who I knew as a kid and the chief of police called me and he said uh, we got a problem somebody is stealing the ducks out of your zoo, your zoo. So I called them in and they told me they thought it was him. So I said to Freddie, I won't use his last name, he's since passed away. I said, Fred, and Freddie had an eye affliction. And when he got nervous, the thing was like, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. So I said, I said, Freddie, uh, the chief of police called the RDI start said the ducks are missing by it's like the it's like a rainstorm you know? so I said what are you he said I, I take I said what are you doing with the ducks he said I'm bringing them over to this poultry area and I get 250 a duck right. so anyhow fast forward I'm dating my wife at the time and we're at this dinner like with the family and whatever they ordered, I ordered kind of a deal. And I'm sitting there, and my mother-in-law orders duck a la orange. <laughs> and I, I lean over to my future wife, I go, that's my duck. <laughs> but I had a other word between that's and duck. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's outstanding. <laughs> okay, fine. So I don't know what I'd like to be, basically. That story topped anything anyway that... Okay, so what's what's one thing about you that nobody knows, Ooh. or a very under the radar thing? And it's going to be tough for you because you're kind of um, out there. I'm an Irish citizen as well. That's one thing. Yeah. I do like soccer uh, because in our hometown you had to be a soccer player. You weren't an athlete. In the early '90s, we had three kids from our hometown play on the World Cup team. Wow! For the United States. Uh, other than that, you know. Nothing really strange, I guess. You know, I like a cocktail. I've heard. I've it goes heard, with I being think Irish, I've heard that. Maybe I've uh, gotten better on working with Jim Dance. I've really gotten better on wine, there particularly if he's picking up the. Jack, you know, <laughs> then you go top shelf. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, uh, here's a quick story with Billis. Uh, we're in Milwaukee, and Jay is unbelievable with a buck. I mean, he grabs the check. So it's McDonough, Billis, and I will. You got no, McDonough's like, he's in the restroom when the check comes. You know? <laughs> we got one so, of those here. Do you? <laughs> yeah. So at any rate, uh, I'm a little late at, at dinner. I don't know why. And I've got Danny Gavitt, who's now, I think mm -hmm. the title is president of the NCAA basketball. Yep. And so we can, we're going to go have dinner and drive to Chicago to get an early flight wherever we're going. 
Anyhow, when I walked in, the owner's a friend of mine, and I, I gave him my credit card. And I go and I sit down, and we have a nice. We've it's a it's the night of the championship. It'll be like this Monday. Mm -hmm. Okay. That, that's so we we got we're in the bar room with the table, and he's got a couple of bottles of wine open, Billis. So he tells this story best. So when you have a mind, you have to ask him. So anyhow, we have a great time. It's time to go, and I I go uh, you know bring the check, and the guy brings the check over, and I go as he tells him. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Billis, Billis was at the stage, he needed glasses and didn't have them, and he misread the price by A, so I'm like, <laughs> and it ends up where it's a, an astronomical number, but I always say, Jay's the only guy, I read the Irish side of the wine list. You know, you guys, you look at the wine, the vintage and all. No, no, I go, Yeah, yeah this is my ballpark here. Yeah. Well, he never reads the Irish side of the menu. Basically. So. Well, the visual there was as Coach looked down at the bill, his eyes went about four times the size of normal. Yeah, but think, think about that, though. If you went into a place that was, you know, say 100 bucks a bottle and you weren't, you weren't paying attention. Yeah. yeah. You know, a guy like It'll me, do that to you. You know. I'd be out in the hallway begging for money. Oh, that's oh, hilarious. Or you'd be back, back in Kentucky, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I, do, I do have one other Kentucky story. Yeah. Uh, years ago, we're, we're at this, uh, let's say Patrice's, Nicola's Restaurant in New York. And I've got a friend of mine and his wife. And we're at you know, a nice little table in the front. And somebody says, the governor of Kentucky is at the next table. And getting back to where the Sinatra, I don't bother the guy at all. So... Uh, P.J. Carlissimo was, uh, Patino recommended him for the job. So they've mm -hmm. offered him the Kentucky job before Rick takes it. And anyhow, the girl with us, the lady, uh, the friend's wife, she, uh, I think it was uh, Gaines food, uh, dog food. She went to school with the governor's wife. Like crazy kind of a deal, right? Mm -hmm. So this exchange is no. So I send a bottle of wine over to the governor's table, and I said to the Italian waiter, "Tell him, thank you for not taking P.J. Carlissimo from Seton Hall." So anyhow, that's it. He never comes over. He walks over with the bodyguard, you know, a state trooper, mm -hmm. and he said, "Gee, that was so nice of you." He said. Uh, now, there's a big financial uh, crisis in New York, you know, fiscally unsound, and it's in the papers and all. And he said, gee, I, I don't understand how, like, you can send a bottle over with all the problems. You know, you work at City Hall, right? Seton Hall, <laughs> right? So the guy goes over, the guy goes over to the governor, and he says... Uh, uh, this is about the know what to think about uh, City Hall. <laughs> that's like a that's a like a Peter Sellers scene from Pink Panther or something right. where you don't pronounce. It's <laughs> my rim. That is funny. Well, thanks so much, Coach, for joining right. us. We really appreciate it. Fun. Always, Always good, good to see you. you guys. Good luck, and uh, I think we'll see you once more during the year, and then hopefully a nice run for. Purdue during the tournament. No, that my, would be great. My thanks as well. Just okay. great to see Pleasure, you. Pleasure, So you. nice of you to take this time. All right, Coach. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Okay. How good was that? Doesn't get much better than that, folks. Uh, Bill Raftery sharing uh, some time with us. And a little background there. We told him we would go about 20 minutes. 
And uh, you heard all the stories, story after story. He kept asking if we can keep going, and we let it ride and end up going 40-plus. So re- really want to thank uh, Coach Raftery for his time. It was one of the highlights uh, so far of this podcast adventure for the Kliz and I, and appreciate you all uh, listening as well. So until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well. Mm-hmm.